The presenting sponsor for On Education is Schoology. Schoology's passion lies in helping instructors and students have the best education experience possible. Schoology is a collaborative, student-focused, and faculty-centered learning management system. Students love Schoology because it gives them 24-7 access to course materials, real-time feedback from their instructors, and easy-to-use collaborative tools. Teachers love the streamlined workflow, integrated apps such as Google and Microsoft tools, and the ability to view evidence of student learning for making instructional decisions. To learn more about what is possible with Schoology, simply visit Schoology.com. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, let's leave it on a high note right now. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome to On Education. I'm Mike Washburn. And I'm Glenn Irvin. Friends, we have an awesome pod for you today. We will discuss the pedagogical trends in education for 2019, the four-day school week, what is stressing our students out, and our guest this week is an amazing educational leader, Matt Joseph. I was just I was just talking about my office, and one of the things that I I was thinking was how quickly it got messed up. So I spent like an hour cleaning it because I knew we were going to be on camera for the first time too. Yes, um, we're we're trying out this different thing, and it's got, we're looking at each other, which is weird. Yes, um, our office. My office. Yeah. My office was an absolute disaster. So I had to I had to clean it a little wow. bit too. You know, I had boxes from school that I still hadn't cleaned out and stuff i had stuff all over the place mine is a disaster so so that's good (laughs) except you can't tell by this camera angle so that's good (laughs) right right it's hilarious so uh so what's new and exciting we got uh we got some lots of lots of news tons of news tons of things going on hopefully everyone's liked on education now by the way yeah Um, let us know what you guys think about it it's been pretty interesting to do um you know those bite size um, podcast episodes um, are are kind of trendy. Like people people are doing a lot of those types of things now. I mean, the Daily is the number one um, podcast in the world, the one by the New York Times. Yes. So I, I mean, it's it's bite size. Hopefully, it's informational. Um, you know, if you don't have the time to, you know, read uh, a website or whatever you're doing that day. Um, you know, the goal is that maybe this, maybe this helps you a little bit, um, Absolutely, get some information to start your day. Yeah. Hopefully it won't always be about, you know, strikes and, and stuff like that, but, uh, you know, that's what's in the news and we want to make sure that everyone knows what's in the news. So, so speaking of news, Glenn, yes. uh, Colorado is going to a four day school week and you have a little bit of a experience with this you were telling me before so tell us what what they're doing with this yeah so i there's a specific school district is the brighton uh school district which is i believe it's the northeast or the eastern suburb of denver uh, so it's a, a suburb there and they're going to go to the four-day school week with mondays being off because i mean honestly they just their main reasoning is to save money uh i actually worked in a four-day school week for three years. And the experiences that I have, that I had there, it was fantastic. Now, it's great to have that fifth day off, whether it's the Friday or the Monday or whatever it might be. But we all know as teachers that you're still working on those days. It's just that you have that extra day to plan, uh, put together some better uh, lesson plans, uh, really 
uh, then give great feedback to your students, which we just don't have enough time. A lot of uh, a lot of times on the weekend, filled right. up with things to do, and then getting that extra day, man, it made a huge difference to be able to give great feedback to our students, to be able to develop great lesson plans, and then the third one that I and the reason why I like it is because of professional development. At least at the school that I was at, and it sounds like in this article that they're going to do something similar here. We had once a month that day off, the Friday or the Monday, you actually had a full day of professional development, uh, which is fantastic for all kinds of things, instructional coaching, uh, technology integration, whatever it is that you need to be able to cover, to have a full day once per month is way, way more than tons of other district states uh, have throughout the country. So it's not all districts in Colorado, but there are quite a few that are moving to this four-day school week. So it'd be interesting to hear their results because the biggest fear I think with uh, district leaders or parents or whoever it might be is that you're not going to be able to cover enough material in eighth grade. You're not going to be able to, you know, those missed out hours. Uh, Cause usually like the way that we did it, we did it eight to 4 PM. You're not going to be able to cover enough of that content, but that's actually not the case. I think that's uh, the way that we experienced it. We, our students were refreshed every time they came back to school on Monday because they had Friday, Saturday, and Sunday off. It felt like, yeah, like they were ready to go ahead and go again, and it was only a four day week, so it just it felt like uh, it was uh, the time at school was more valuable. I, that's the best way to be able to put it. I mean, if this means teachers use the time that they, because I mean, it's no secret that teachers spend class time grading assignments yes. and writing lesson plans and writing in their daybook and. And, you know, all of this other stuff, I mean, and certainly initiatives get put on them, events, planning, whatever it is they have to do. But all of this stuff gets put on on them. If they can use the time, they won't be spending doing that in the classroom because they have this extra day to to kind of do it. I mean, if that's a win in and of itself, it means that the teachers are going to have more time in the classroom to spend, you know, walking around the class, being with the kids, engaging with them and, and talking to them about what they're doing. It's, it's going to be, it it could potentially be better. And I know that it's born out of a necessity to, to lower, you know, overall costs and and stuff like that. But I mean, if, if you're going to, if you're going to do it, let's figure out a way to do it and do it effectively. And I feel like, some of these groups, like what you did in your experience, were able to put a silver lining on it and, yes. and make it actually something that made a lot of sense for them, right? Yeah. And then the other part that's interesting about the article, too, is for whatever reason, the superintendent uh, who was interviewed also talked about being able to recruit the best teachers out there, too. So that's kind of a recruiting method, too. And I would say, it's a pretty good recruiting tool uh, to say, hey, we have a four-day school week versus right. the normal five-day school week. <laughs> that is actually a great uh, recruitment tool. And, and, you know, there's other things that go along with it, where your location is at, how far you would have to drive if you were in the de- greater Denver area, uh, how long your commute would be to be able to get to this specific school district. But I, I think it's a great plan and it would be interesting to hear their experience or listen to their experience like one year after, like, what have you learned? 
Would you continue with this? If you, you know, if you could go back, would you have done it? Uh, and then what can we do to be able to make it better? If we were going to replicate this, you know, what do we sure, do to yeah. be able to go ahead and, and, and do something like this in our local schools? Absolutely. So speaking of news, um, something else came across my, uh, my desk this week. And it's this bill that South Carolina is um, putting forward to mandate students take uh, personal finance or financial literacy classes. Yes. I, I think it's awesome. Uh, I, this is actually, I, I thought of Don Wetrick when, uh, yes. when I, when I thought it, or I saw this, cause this is kind of one of his um, pet initiatives kind of thing. Is this, this financial literacy piece? I think it's incredibly important. I, and we know that, people are living with insane amounts of debt. Um, you know, even you and I, I mean, we, we both have debt and oh, yeah. your, your, your student loans. I mean, we've talked Crushing about it before. Debt. Yes. Right. <laughs> and people are living with, and, and some of it is born out of kind of normal necessity, even though we can get into a conversation about student loans. Um, we're pretty far lefty. So we have probably stronger opinions on it than, than others. Yes. But I mean, <laughs> being i didn't i'll tell you i didn't learn a damn thing from school about budgeting or finance and i didn't learn it unfortunately from my parents either me neither so and and to be honest i you know i would say that my parents weren't the best with their money in hindsight no and now that i'm thinking about it either so they wouldn't have been super good examples other than the don't do what i did kind of thing right yes that's cool yeah, so when so, I, I'll, I think I'll give you a little story student. here. When I was yeah. 18, um, I went out and got a credit card because you could oh, just cool. get one. Yeah, I, I didn't have it. I didn't have any. I didn't have any knowledge of what I was like. Oh, cool! I have a credit card. Yeah, I did. And that guess too. and guess what I did? I maxed that beast out, and I was in college, <laughs> and I didn't even have a job. I mean, I had I like shopping. What, what do you call the, where you just uh, work service, you know, kind of a uh, 10 hours a week kind of work service thing at, at, I think it was like at that point, uh, $5 an hour, four twenty five an hour. That was in 1994. Um, so I was earning $4 an hour working 10 hours a week. That's $40 minus the tax. <laughs> and I blew through, I, maybe it was a $500 credit card and I Some had no shoes, way, of, I had no way to pay it. No way to pay it. So, of course, right away, right off the bat, 18 years old, I ruined my credit. Yeah. And and it was, of course, it's totally my fault. But I did never had the idea, the concept of like, you probably don't want to do this. And here's why. <laughs> you don't have any money. You don't have any income. You can't just go blow money. You're going to have to pay that back. And yeah. if you don't, here was the part that I didn't really understand is that that could have repercussions for years down the road. I tell people all the time. I tell people all the time. It takes, it takes you, you know, six weeks to ruin your credit and it takes two decades to fix it. Yeah. So thank God that I actually did end up later on, you know, once I had a career and then I was reestablishing my credit and now everything is great and everything, you know, there, but that would be a lesson that I for sure talk to my kids about, but we should be talking about this at school. Like you just said, it's 100%. a totally relevant, hot topic that kids need to know that credit card t- companies will target you when you turn of age and they will, a lot of them give you credit 
even though you may not. Yeah, that's not something it. smart to do for a student, okay? Because yeah, yeah, really. yeah it, it's crazy, and and uh, lots of lessons learned there, uh, and painful lessons learned. Because later on, you're like, oh, dang, that's not <laughs> that wasn't that good of a decision to blow through those five hundred dollars or whatever it was, you know. <laughs> I, Ontario actually has a financial literacy curriculum, like a, a full out curriculum document. Like, and our curriculum documents are pretty extensive. It's so like there would have been like probably at least hundreds of thousands of dollars spent on this curriculum. And I know it's, it's not a required course. Mm. It's not even required to be taught in the, in, in the elementary it's, it it has elementary uh, I think grade seven and eight lessons. And then it goes into, into high school and none of it's required. So, I mean, it's a shame because we have this, um roadmap for how to do it and we're not doing it and you know debt is just becoming even worse especially i mean i what i think about also (laughs) i should have a bumper sticker that says that (laughs) that sucks (laughs) I, I, i think about how you know some people can't even get jobs without a master's degree these days hmm it's i mean that is insane. Like the, the minimum, like an entry level job where you're getting 35 grand a year, you still like the competition is so hard that unless you have already spent easily 80 or $90,000 on a university education, you're not getting, you're not getting that job. And it's like, I mean, it doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make any sense. Uh, so yeah. you know financial literacy should be taught everywhere um we're we're totally on board with that idea and and i i can't wait to keep talking about it and hopefully this this passes um because it's it's pretty interesting so so that's that's going on now we came across this this article on uh, edtechnology.co.uk um, that that I, I mean, in the file under affirming uh, our our conversations, I, know. I guess pedagogical trends for 2019 balanced tech with balanced tech with holistic learning. So we're going to put this in the show notes, but it's a pretty cool list. Absolutely, I mean, it's a cool list because we're completely on board with all of it. So because we, we talk about a lot of these topics, I mean, I would say probably right. eight out of ten we've mentioned in the show at some point or another, or our guests have highlighted those specific things. But things like playful learning, and then for sure, uh, your expertise in learning with robots. Uh, I was. Uh, uh, fascinated by things like learning through wonder or action learning uh place-based learning was i saw a conversation on twitter about that and then of course empathy we just had our guest last week talking about uh empathy and being able to use minecraft to be able to teach that uh ben kelly uh to be able to do that and uh, man this is like it's right. great because it's exactly what we've been talking about and what we can will continue to go ahead and push and these are the trends for 2019 Hundred percent. Like, if you wanted a list of the things that that Glenn and I are going to be hitting on uh, over the next twelve months, I, I'd say this is a pretty darn good roadmap for that. Um, you know, we even a couple weeks ago talked to um, 
talked to what was her name i can't remember her name but we were talking about um self-regulation and yes. and students you know understanding when they're when they're in uh, a not a good place mentally or emotionally and being able to identify that stuff so i mean um and there's some really interesting other topics here like de decolonizing learning super interesting talking about um as assumptions of ethnic traditions and globalization yes. and um you know some of our biases as far as being you know um well certainly uh you know me uh, and 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 being a, a caucasian white male like the you know the the classic demographic and uh, and and all of that stuff super interesting stuff really 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 like this is what we're going to be talking about this year almost all of this stuff yeah, I can't so, wait to share with everybody else so that they can go ahead and go to the article itself. And then there's also a report that has the entire report there as a free download. Awesome. So super, super interesting article. And uh, take a look at it because uh, you can definitely see um, that, that uh, you know, this is the way a, a lot of people are heading. And, uh, you know, if we all go in this general direction, uh, we'll be we'll be making some pretty significant progress for sure. Speaking of progress, we're going to take a break. And when we come back, uh, we're going to talk a bit about we've talked about this before. We're going to talk about student stress and anxiety and homework. Quests, one of Classcraft's most popular features with over 100,000 lessons created by teachers and 3 million learning objectives completed by students so far is now part of Classcraft's free offerings. In 2019, your students won't just be learning multiplication, chemistry, or any other content. They'll be saving the kingdom. Transform your lessons into adventures with Quest today. Visit classcraft.com for more information. All right, everyone, welcome back to the podcast. We've been kind of dancing around this conversation a little bit. I mean, we talk about it a lot, but uh, it came up in On Education Now. By the way, if you haven't listened to On Education Now, just it's in the feed. Just go look for them and, and listen. Glenn had an amazing uh, little episode where he <laughs> talked about homework. Uh, and and it's definitely relevant to what we're going to talk about here today. Um I mean, we know that there is an insane amount of unnecessary homework being delivered to students by teachers, right? Yes. Yes. So, and I was trying to make a distinction on the on education now, the quick episode, just basically between just giving a daily homework assignment just because it's the tradition, it's you're going to develop a work ethic, whatever the excuses may be. To give that type of assignment on a daily basis to students where it, a lot of times it's not specifically relevant to what they're working on, and really it doesn't have any real implications. So a lot of times these are like worksheets or something that you took off of teachers pay teachers, uh, just something that is not really compelling to the students. And I wanted to make a distinction between that and giving students assignments where they actually connect with their family members. Uh, for example... I mentioned Jesse Buto and having this podcast that his kids develop and they're interviewing their grandparents, yeah. interviewing their parents for these crazy, really good, compelling stories that they, they uh, merge together into a podcast. Um, or like the example of my son is working on a science fair project and 
it forced us to kind of work then together, which is awesome, super fun. And we grew all kinds of bacteria and doing all kinds of experiments, uh, you know, throughout the house. And those are, it feels like those are authentic experiences, uh, authentic uh, work projects that you're actually doing at home. Mm -hmm. But we have to realize that we have to protect people's, uh, by people, I mean, families time at home. And by the time you come home, like you just talked about earlier, you're, you're coming home at 5, 30, 6 o'clock in the evening or even later. You have a limited amount of time to be able to spend with your kids. You don't want it to be that high stress uh, homework time. Instead, you want it to be kind of a, a, a time to be able to reflect and share on the day, to share dinner with each other, and then honestly to get ready to go to bed and, and, and then uh, get ready for the next day. Not even stating all of the activities that typical, I would say, you know, if I was going to quotation marks, typical Americans have their kids participate in or their kids are participating in tons of athletic and other types of academic activities that are outside of the school day, that then pushes the time forward too. So a limited amount of time that you have then to be able to do that worksheet or whatever it might be. And then this article, I love it because it says, because they're working on this, they're actually getting less sleep. And what's the most important thing that these students need is sleep. And so it compounds one day after another, lack of sleep, frustrated at school, come back home, you have more homework, so on and so forth. And eventually you just dislike school. You dislike because school is associated with this thing that you really don't want to do that really has nothing to do with your life. And that's, I think, the most compelling reason to eliminate homework. And when we're talking about stress, we're not talking about small amounts of it either. Like the numbers are astonishing yes. to be honest and disappointing actually is a word that I came across in my mind when I was reading this is, is how disappointed I was that there are teachers that just don't get this and don't care. Also, I mean, you get, uh, there's a, a lack of, I mean, speaking of empathy, there's empathy. A, a huge <laughs> lack of empathy of teachers saying, you know, that are doing this 74% of students feel frustrated or feel um, that that stress uh, related to homework. Is, yes, that's that's the biggest number. Fifty one percent was uh, of student stress was related to parental expectations. Uh, uh, above uh, self esteem at fifty one percent, or not above but below uh, self esteem, and bullying at fifteen percent. But also that homework is taking up a huge amount of time, like gigantic amounts of time. Um, around 15 to 20 hours a week, which is... That's sick. It's insane. Yeah. Yeah, it's really, disgusting. really gross. Right. Yes. I, I mean, I, I I never gave out homework. We, we had a kind of a policy about computer studies homework um, related to things like how there were lots of parents that just probably couldn't help them because of the skills that you would need, like coding and stuff like that. Um, but I generally just didn't do homework anyways. But when I did, it was stuff like what you were just talking about. So in the spring, um, we had a, a graphic design and photography unit. So sometimes I would have, because we had to do the editing at school, because that was the actual, the, the big, the big, you know, learning piece. The takeaway was the, the, the editing of the photos. Yes. So they had to come to school with photos. That means they had to, for homework, you had to go take pictures. And I would like, I would like 
encourage them to go out with their family. And just when awesome. you're out with your family, take pictures. When you go on vacation, I always gave them a March break assignment. I, you know, I'm using air quotes assignment because I was literally telling parents and I would write it when I would post like the assignment in Schoology or whatever. I'd be like, parents, you're going to be taking pictures anyways. Let your kids take them instead. And then they can take them, bring them bring them to school. I mean, if you're going to be taking pictures, which you are, let them do it. Let them be the photographer for your trip because we will use the pictures uh, in our photo editing class. So that was the kind of homework I was giving out. Yes, and it's uh, in, in relevant, relevant right. high interest. I mean, that's perfect. Those are the exact right. type of assignment things. And it, you want to call it an assignment or homework, whatever it might be. It's really just an extension of your classroom. Then you've got something. It's not, I don't, I want to just eliminate that title homework. It's like when my kid is excited about do, showing me or doing something at home, that means it's something compelling. When it's something that's dreaded, uh, a worksheet or whatever it might be, that isn't enough to be able to go in and say, to justify, I'm going to take some time away from home here and I'm going to cause this extra stress upon families, which it does, uh, it does happen. And it's leading to huge amounts of sleep loss. Like I'm a guy who survives on three to five hours of sleep a night. I oh don't sleep at, I don't <laughs> sleep at all. Well, I was actually telling you earlier, I, I, I was actually, and if you go check, I was up on Twitter or, and uh, on Facebook at four o'clock this morning. That's I was crazy. wide, wide <laughs> freaking awake. I, I ended up like dozing off a, a little bit around, around five 30 till about six, six 30. But I mean, I don't sleep very much, but kids need to sleep they need the, sleep yes the recommended uh, time for for um uh, young teens and teens to sleep is eight to ten hours yes. and according to the survey in one of the articles we're going to post in the show notes 57 percent of teenagers say they don't get enough sleep even they recognize it <laughs> right I mean, crazy and, and, like they're they're just exhausted and 67 percent saying they're just getting about five to seven hours a night five hours like, I mean, I live on it and I'm sort of used to it. I'm not saying I feel great because I don't, but I mean, these kids, you know, you need to sleep way more than five to seven hours a night. And Absolutely. it's, it's really taking a physical, mental and emotional toll on our students. And, um, you know, we, we had a, I remember, um, hearing stories about students who weren't getting enough sleep and teachers would just let them sleep in class you know if it's yes. not critical i mean because they weren't getting sleep and they were stressed out and it was really mentally and emotionally harming them um so we need to we need to do a better job as educators this some of this a lot of this i'll be honest is our fault it's yeah. educated it's educators fault and there is no empathy for homework. They say, oh, homework talk teaches you discipline and self-control and self-regulation and blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, all right, well, you know, okay, but we can probably learn this in other places too. Absolutely. How about, how about teaching it in athletics and in sports? Um, all and kinds of like places that. to be able to learn it. Yes. Right. I mean, so I, I'm not buying the, the reasons for especially make work homework. It just makes me sick. I know. It makes me so angry. And, um, you know, I tell you, I worked at a place that was really good at make work homework. So 
Yeah. Uh, it's infuriating. And so I made it a point, you know, when, when I was teaching to, to say, I don't give out homework and parents would be like, yes. And we love you for it <laughs> because, <laughs> because we have so much homework to do. Um, when I first started, I was giving out homework a little bit. Uh, it was still like, it was like video game related homework and graphic design homework and stuff like that. But I had kids coming back and saying, Mr. Washburn, I didn't do my homework uh, because I was up till 11 o'clock doing math. Yeah. And, and this is a grade five. Oh my goodness. Right. And I'm like, uh, Not good. are you kidding? Like you gotta, so I, I would like literally go talk to the grade five teacher and say, you can't have your kids up until 11 o'clock at night doing math. No, it's just, it's, it's bad. Yeah. Bad, bad really practice. Bad. Yes. So, and I mean, this is why they're, they're consumed with egg and anxiety, agony. Mm-hmm. That that's even that too. <laughs> yeah, but they they are they're they're completely consumed with anxiety. Uh, a lot of them, and at a young age too. It's yeah, not it's too it's young. Not just it's not just relegated to to teenagers. Um, we're seeing numbers, and I don't have them in front of me, but I know it's 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 true. We're seeing huge amounts of of students of elementary level students being diagnosed with like depression and anxiety and and stuff like that. Um, We're seeing it so much more uh, than ever. And um, I mean, we are partly responsible for this. Uh, So we need to do a better job, right? At minimum, just take a look at your practices and say, is it, is this something that I really need to assign as homework or is it something that we as a class can actually work on together collaboratively as a, whatever it might be. And we actually will get more out of it than a student having to do that at home. And we're not even accounting for parents who have to work second or third shift. Uh, So they might not actually be there during that time. So a kid is by himself or herself and having to do this work, which is stressing them out, having them to stay up late. It is just a combination of different things. So different people's family situations. I mean, that time is so precious. Let's not take that away with, uh, you know, frivolous activities that we decide our homework and we're going to teach them something with that. This other article that we'll put in the show notes that was written as an editorial uh, on Vox.com. Um, there were two really interesting sources of anxiety in this that, that I wanted to, to talk about. One was um, anxiety as it relates to children's future. So what they think they want to be when they grow up. And, yes. and, and I think that this is one of those things that I, I felt like I was really good at this. And this is, a, I think the solution to this from an educator's point of view is to reframe the, the, the concept of what kids do when they grow up. I, I'll tell you, I, I, again, um, I know a lot of kids who knew what they, I want to be a doctor. I want to be a lawyer. I want to, and, and what I always tried to do, especially with the kids who wanted to be programmers or scientists or whatever, it's to reframe their learning. Yeah. So it wasn't so much focused on, you know, what they're going to do 15 years from now. Yes. But, you know, I say, you know, that's awesome. You're really interested in, 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 in physics and rocketry and whatever it was, let's, let's talk about that stuff a lot more then. And, and so that you become passionate about it 
And, and so, uh, you know, this reframing of it so that it wasn't something that they were doing so that they could do something 20 years from now, which, you know, seems crazy, yes. but something they would do now so that they would enjoy it now and enjoy their learning and have fun doing it. It was about reframing that that proposition of what they want to do when they grow up to be more present in what they're doing at the moment. You know what I'm saying? Absolutely. Yep. And we've learned, I mean, if you go back and listen to that Don Wetrick interview, he has a really a compelling argument basically stating that in the future, our kids are going to have multiple careers in a variety of different things. Even Mike and I have shared in this experience, and this is 2019. Imagine in 20 years from now, in 2040, how quickly you will have to adjust to the different professions that you will be doing. Um, and what are the skills that you need in order to be able to do, you know, kind of uh, shift from one profession to the other. So saying, I'm going to be this is a very old school way of thinking instead of saying, yeah. I want to, uh, you know, I love the, the, uh, the reframing of that to say, what problem am I going to, am I going to solve? What skills do I need to just basically be a better human? You know, those kinds of things. And those are the things that we should be focusing on at school instead of stressing kids out with, you know, uh, you're going to, the career kind of talk, you know, and those kinds of things that is causing anxiety in our students. And we just spent a little bit of time talking about financial literacy. And one of the the pieces in this article was um, kids today live with the baggage of their parents' economic anxieties. And I thought this was super interesting. I mean, um, it's no secret that people in their 30s and early 40s now are living quite a bit different existence in terms of financial stress and, and how hard it is just to, to get by. I mean, my wife and I, we're, we're making like our income Canadian is is in like it's close to $200,000 a year. And it is still hard to just live, you know, two cars and a house crazy and, like that normal what you would associate as a quote unquote normal life is just it's just as hard. Uh, I, I mean, it's it's not it's not easy. And we try to shield our kids from talking about money, but I mean, they know when we can't afford to buy, we're in Walmart or Toys R Us or wherever we are. Uh, yeah, we still have Toys R Us in Canada, by the way. Oh, that's um, weird. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but we're, we're wherever we are. And, and Isaac wants, you know, that video game that just came out and it's $80 because $80 is how much video games cost right now. It's whatever. Don't wow. get started. Uh, you know, and we just can't afford it that week because food. Um, and food is and important. So, <laughs> you know, right. And so, but kids are w- way more aware of those situations, I think, now than they ever were. And they're living through those, they're, they're living vicariously, they're, they're feeling those anxieties um, because, you know, living is not easy. Uh, these days in terms of uh, financial uh, getting by financially. Um, and, and then you, when you pile on the homework and the thinking, you know, I have to have a super successful career in 15 years so that I don't live paycheck to paycheck like my parents are. And, you know, when you pile all of those things together, you can see why our kids are just giant balls of stress and anxiety. It's it's Absolutely. really tough. I 
I personally have a lot of empathy for it and, and I, and I get it now. Uh, and I'm starting to really see how all of this in a, in these short, you know, micro instances, isn't that big a deal. But when you put it all together, we're putting our kids through a pretty bad situation here. Yeah. And I mean, you just described your situation there. Now let's reimagine kind of the way that I grew up where, my parents sometimes didn't have enough to pay the actual bills. So mm -hmm. as a teenager, as soon as you became a teenager, you know, when I was 13 or 14 years old, you were already, you needed to go to work, yeah. not because you were going to go earn that money for your cell phone, but so Take that you could, you could contribute to your family's, what, it, what we needed at the moment and surviving paycheck by paycheck, whatever it might be. And there are kids who are doing that right now. They go out to work and they're actually handing over uh, their paycheck or part of their paycheck to their parents so that they can help their family unit. And again, talk about high stress. You're working 20 to 30 hours a week at the grocery store, or wherever else it might be, and then school, and then you're going to add homework on top of it or whatever else it might be as far as the expectations. hours of homework. Yeah, you got to just uh, put yourself into their shoes and realize that not all the students are going to be, you know, kind of living this prototypical, you know, very uh, middle class or upper middle class, even uh, type of life. It's there. It, th there's some true struggles that are going on. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, let's leave it on a high note right now. <laughs> 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 it, it, the point is the point is guys that, um, that we need to really do a better job of being aware of our students and their situations and, and really think about that homework piece in particular and whether it's necessary and you know what, heaven forbid it makes you change the way that you teach. I mean, that's what we're here for. So I'm not apologizing for that at all. Um, hopefully it makes you reflect for on sure what you're doing and how you're doing it so that you do it differently so that you're not dishing out 15 hours of worksheets uh, to your kids in a week. Yes. Um, because that's, it's absolutely insane and wrong to be, perfectly blunt mm -hmm. so so you know take responsibility for that we're we're part of the problem here and let's let's go be part of this the solution now right glenn absolutely man giddy up uh when we come back we're going to be joined uh by uh, another person who is absolutely part of the solution matt joseph all right welcome back to the podcast we're thrilled to be joined uh, today by Matt Joseph. Matt's the Director of Digital Learning, Informational Technology, and Innovation at Milford Public Schools. Welcome to the podcast, Matt. Thank you for having me today. Matt, can you do us a favor? Just tell our audience a little bit about yourself, what you do, where you're located, stuff like that. Um, sure. Uh, my name is Matthew Joseph. I am from um, just outside of Boston area, so about 40 minutes um, west of Boston. Um, and my path to where I'm at now, I was a elementary school principal for 11 years in two different districts. And I saw the really effect and engagement of student learning, utilizing digital tools and really creative thinking strategies in instruction. And in my next role at Milford Public Schools, I was able to take some of that from the building level and work um, at the district level to support all schools. We actually, um, in my time there when I when we started, we launched a one-to-one -one initiative 
And we went from no student devices to 3,000 Chromebooks in 18 months. Wow. And updated all our infrastructure and really tried to cut a path in instruction and really focus on that. And, and that's the part of my role that I really uh, enjoy. You did share my long title, and I think it's because I'm really focused on the instructional side of the learning. Uh, because when we talk about one-to-one initiatives or districts that launch these large-scale rollouts, the easiest part is the rollout. Obviously, the funding yes. comes first, but one-to-one is just a math problem. You have 3,000 students, you have 3,000 devices. That's not changing instruction. What no. that's doing is giving students an opportunity to expand their learning, and that's really the role that I, um, I currently have and the piece that I'm very excited about in this this lane of this profession and being part of FETC. I know that's part of what we're doing, talking about today too, of going down and talking about how that looks from a leadership lens, not just a technical lens. And I think having that background in um, the school leadership, as I said, as a principal, and then um, attending Boston College, I did, you know, we talked a little bit before, have my, you know, PhD in educational leadership, but bringing all of those strategies to instruction, to learning, into supporting educators to be better each day. That's awesome. Hey, Matt, so you have this book, and it has an amazing title. It's called The Power of Us. Yes. And in it, you state that if educators work in silos, this can stunt their professional growth and actually become a detriment to student learning. So how do we empower our educators to work collaboratively and share? And what are some of the barriers that are preventing this from happening? So I think the first piece is increasing a culture that is safe for being vulnerable, that we hear risk-taking all the time. Take risks, do this, try this. But if there's a culture that if it's either right or wrong, then it's going to be very difficult to be vulnerable in a school. So creating a culture, a power of us, and getting out of silos is allowing yourself to almost prototype. I talk about prototyping in education a lot, meaning let's try little things along the way. Let's not focus on the end. That's the goal. But what are the steps to get there? Let's try this. Let's try this strategy. Let's try this project. And the more teachers work together, the more they're going to feel that comfort level and focusing on the journey, not just the end. And I know everyone has strengths. And if in the culture of a silo is you have one strength and you keep it to yourself, it's very like, this is what I do well. Exactly. Um, And too often it becomes, that becomes how you're identified. So for me, I like, I'm outgoing. I like to give presentations. I like to really brain, verbally brainstorm. But what I need is another a partner or a team of people to do a little bit more reflecting, a little bit say, let's slow down and look at the steps. So together, we are going to create projects. We're going to create initiatives that are going to really develop into our school and our students and not look at it as my little one classroom or my subject area. Because that's the goal. The goal is not to have the students to have their best one year. It's to make sure you're creating a classroom that represents the dynamic world around us yes. and that they move on with the strategies of creative thinking to be problem solvers. So to get back to your question, to, to make how to make that a little bit more possible, I think I'm hoping to empower leaders with some of the book content in the book and a lot of the leadership discussions I have at the events is that as leaders, we have to get out of the way. The best way for our teachers to feel that they can take a risk is let them get out of the way to support them and really facilitate the next steps. And part of that is also being very clear with what it is. So when we talk about the role that I have, 
our goal is not to launch one-to-one. It's not for kids to use computers. It's to create a classroom environment that's rich in creativity and models the world around us. Kids have digital things flying around them every day. They go into Kohl's and they order sneakers on a huge iPad. (laughs) They are not seeing essentially, right? The kiosk, you go pick the sneaker you want. It's not even on the floor. Next thing you know, it's at your house. Got it. (laughs) So they go to school and don't have that same level of comfort and familiarity with whatever content, then it's going to be very difficult for them to learn. So bringing that power of us, bring it back to your question and bringing that collaboration is being vulnerable, leaders allowing teachers to access their strengths, not just the one thing they do really well, and really ask questions. What can I do better? How, you know, this is a profession. Yes. I'm a big boy. I like feedback and, and, and I've learned more from some of the feedback I've gotten than just really continuing to do things I do well and only do those. That's awesome. I tell you, I, I love administrators who talk about allowing teachers to, to screw things up, to fail, um, because you don't, honestly, you don't get that very often. And I came from a culture, uh, a school culture that did not permit teachers to fail at all. Like you could wow. not, you could not make mistakes. And I'm doing a lot of talks this, this coming kind of conference season. Yeah. And, and one of the, the big ones uh, I'm, I'm doing, Matt, is, is about, you know, teachers. We almost have a lot of ed tech tools now that are really safe to use. Like really easy, not you can't screw them up. Like Flipgrid is Flipgrid is pretty user friendly and easy to implement. Google Docs, Google Drive, the collaboration. This stuff isn't hard. We're we're really comfortable now. I, I think a lot of teachers are super comfortable using some of these tools, and we've. I, I am genuinely concerned about teachers getting into these comfort silos again. Um, now that now that they've we've gone through this phase of development and now in 2019 we really have some awesome tools and we got a lot of teachers that are super comfortable. I'm worried about them being fearful of what's next. Like when I, and I'm going to talk about things like AR and VR and robotics and, and games based learning and not just like, not just like Kahoot and stuff like that, but like actual video game based learning and stuff that is actually things that you know teachers are legitimately afraid of um i guess as an administrator how are you overcoming your fear of teachers who mess up i i guess or or when things don't go right and you get parents for example that come to you and say you know this this just went off the rails and aren't your teachers supposed to be professionals what what, what do you think about stuff like that that is a loaded Packed question, but I am going to detail each piece of it. One of the things, the first piece I'll say, just and not to be a contrarian, is I often don't talk about failing when we talk about risk because I associate yeah. failure with being done. So I like mistakes. I like you know, yeah, taking yeah, yeah. risks. Yeah, awesome. But I'm just, yeah, just to, sure. to base Framing that in, it is great. Because I want the risk-taking and vulnerability to be ongoing. Um, and I 100%. worry when we use the word failure, and I'm not trying to say you said anything wrong, just to this is going to be the foundation of my next piece of it, is that often when you hear failure, you start over. And that's my worry with risk taking is that you do something that doesn't work and you start over. And that's why I talk about prototyping um, to keep trying. So to, to get to the meat of what you said is how to alleviate this fear of 
teachers feeling that if they try something and, and the parents like aren't you professionals, I think if it's rooted in the technology, it's not the way to start. If mm. teachers are planning lessons and you used Flipgrid and Kahoot, if you're planning a lesson, I'm begging you, any teacher that is listening, if you plan a lesson with what am I going to do with Kahoot today, <laughs> please yeah. do not plan That's that not lesson. Good. So no, I 100%. talk and, and, and not in a self-promotion sense, but just sharing some of the lingo, lingo or language that I use. I talk about driving your ed tech instruction. And I use um, the GPS analogy. Or not really. I say use GPS to drive your tech instruction. G is your goal. What is the goal of the lesson? If it's rooted in learning and it's rooted in what you're planning to do, then we're going to layer certain things on. So what's the goal that you want students to, to be able to achieve? The P is what's the plan to reach that goal. And the S is what's the solution. And that's where wow. you start looping in the ed tech tools. If the tools are coming in to support the learning, the learning outcomes and the creativity, then it may not work, but then you're going to try something else because it's not the foundation. So it could be Flipgrid. It could be Google Docs. It could be all of those things that if the solution is one thing, it's going to be difficult. But if the, if the lesson is, you know, research water pollution and students, you come to me with what you think, how you think you can present the information. And our job as leaders is to provide educators with a toolbox. You could use Kahoot. You could use Flipgrid. You could use an AR, Google Explore, or just write a white paper. Yes. Or, or get a trifold board. Whatever it may be, Whatever the solution is, we want the most current technology to enhance what students are learning. That's so awesome. I think starting it with the learning piece and then layering on the ed tech will allow teachers to feel more comfortable. Because as we make this paradigm shift in instruction, where teachers who are more, let's say, uh, resistant to, to make that shift is they're, they're staying in their silo of, I know my content. Yeah, yeah, that's yes. great. Know your content. And my role and roles, you know, similar to, to mine and school leaders is we go to these events or we research or we read and say, here are five tools that you can use. You know your students. Yes. You know your content. All I'm asking you is to try a few of these to enhance learning because students are going to benefit. So that would, in my opinion, that would alleviate some of the parent concerns that you were saying, like you're a professional. Why didn't this work? Yeah. Well, it's rooted in learning goals and rooted in a strong plan. And these are just some of the solutions that the teachers were trying. Yeah. So Matt, I w as an instructional coach, because that's what I do right now, is mm -hmm. I really enjoyed one of your recent blog post articles called EdTech Coaching in Today's Classrooms. And yeah. in that post, you write about the attributes of a successful EdTech coach, which we talk about this all the time, including the importance of building relationships. So our audience includes many tech integrationists, instructional coaches, et cetera, whatever you want to call them. What advice do you have for them for making an impact in teaching and learning? So that was one of my favorite, you know, that, that blog post came from a session I did in, in New Hampshire. It originally came from an article that I wrote with Aaron Fisher, who is um, a tech integration specialist in West Bridgewater. And then during the session, I was standing in front of this group of ed tech coaches and they were looking to me for advice. And I said, let's back up. Let, let's use the room and not to, again, go back in a self-promotion sense of practicing what I preach with the book that I wrote. What can we learn together? Yes. So I think the big thing for the relationship is coaches are sometimes looked at as having all the solutions. 
That's so true. And (laughs) the other piece is not having the buy-in from teachers because they often may say, well, you don't know how I teach. So the biggest, in my opinion, the biggest thing that I would say to answer your question is take two weeks and be very clear with this because when there's no clarity in in a school, it becomes other people tell your story. Take two weeks and say, I want to learn how you teach. Let me come into your classroom for a half hour at a lesson launch and a lesson closure for every teacher. And that's just part of the culture. It's not that they're not doing their job. It's not that they're not doing as much as other educators. It's that they are gathering the information of the many so that they can be a support. And once you learn how different teachers, you know, some teachers ask rapid fire questions. Some ask one big question. Some love kids who call out. Some insist on hand raising and and teaching. No one way is right because the teacher in the classroom is the expert. So the coach has to know the different learning styles. Yes. And my recommendation is work with the building administrator and say the why of coaching is to support learning and to support teachers in that. So how is a coach going to do it if they've never been in the classroom? It's just setting up for failure. Yes. So allow allow that two weeks or how whatever, you know, different schools maybe longer, shorter, however it is, have a time where coaches are learners. Because teachers are going to open their doors a little bit more if you can come in and say, you know, for myself, Matt, you like your presentation style, you do a lot of call and response, and you do projects. Here's some examples of how you could help in this area versus a teacher who may do a lot more sit and think in, in a different style. Not Neither style is wrong or right, you know, however fits the students, but the coach has to be adaptable, and they cannot do that without the background knowledge. Got awesome. it. So good. Matt, you have four sessions at FETC. First off, that's wow. insane. That's crazy. <laughs> I do. That's a busy right. time. <laughs> and um, and they all, I mean, just listening to you talk, I, I can already tell, I, I have a sense they're going to be amazing. What are you, what are you going to be sharing this year at FETC? Maybe, maybe talk about one or two of the sessions, something you're really excited to talk about. Um, well, there's there, there are four sessions. Three are very different in different lanes. And one of the things that I uh, really like about the role that, that that I'm in is there's I don't do one thing really well, just to be honest with you, but I feel like I can do a lot of things fairly well. So one of the things that I'm going to talk about is transitioning schools, how to take a school district from the Stone Age to the Digital Age, and what are the steps to get there? Not wow. just because it didn't snow this year and we have extra money and we buy 50 iPads. It's what is, what is your vision, what is your action plan, and what is your reflection on that? I'm not, a, I'm not someone who does a strategic plan. That word drives me crazy because I don't know anyone has ever made a dumb plan. Why do we need the word strategic? Like it's, if you're going to make a plan, it better be good. So I talk about blueprint for success. What are you doing? So that's going to be one of the things that I talk about is how to really transform a district and to launch some of these tools to match the current culture, because I don't know what yours is, but here's some strategies to do it. The second one is for teachers, is um, how to create active learning in your classroom. Similar to the last question you just asked, is how are we creating, utilizing these tools? And I'm actually bringing in some some vendors like Buncee and Newzella and, and Pear Deck and um, other, other tools that I've made connections with the vendors who I really like their tools, not in a sales pitch at all, but to say, here's some of the options out there. So I'm going to give, it's called blended learning for active learners. How are you going to create an active learning environment where students are doing, doing the work? Because let me tell you, and I tell teachers this all the time, 
kids do not come to school to watch you work. They need to be doing the, they need to be doing the work. So that, that session is going to be about, here's a plethora of tools. You all go figure out what works best for you. And the third is more working with um, ENA and catch on, which is a tool that um, how to really get return on investment with your purchasing and utilizing the budget that you have, because each district's going to have a limited budget and to make sure you're spending the money on the right tools that enhance learning. So those are, those are yes, the three. We've been talking about that a lot it, on the show yes. lately. <laughs> one of our big topics. It's awesome. You're hitting right on it. So those are the three that I'm going to be doing. I love to keep busy and it makes me better as, as I'm not a professional speaker. I am not an expert, but the more I do to get ready for these events, the better I feel I am in my current role. It's fantastic. Awesome. Matt, this yes. is this has been wild. Great You're, talk. <laughs> so good. Um, so again, Matt has a bunch of sessions at FETC. Just go look for his name on the schedule and and get your butt into those sessions. Uh, and sure. we'll we'll see him in Orlando in a couple weeks. And uh, thanks so much for for being on the show, man. This You're is, welcome. Are you guys going to awesome. be there? Am I going to get to meet you That's, in person? Absolutely. Oh, yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, I'll bring you. You had asked for a book. I'll bring bring you some. I actually have two author signing um, times. It's crazy. It's like blowing my mind. Like, really, this guy? It's funny. So I'll bring Beauty. some down for you because I owe you. This has been awesome. I love oh. to talk about this, and I'll make sure awesome. to see you down there. Awesome, man. Thanks. We'll Thank see you in a couple so weeks. Appreciate right, it. See you. Thanks for listening to On Education. My name is Mike Washburn, and my co-host is Glenn Irvin. Do you want to get in touch with us? Check out our website at oneducationpodcast.com. You can tweet us at oneducationpod. Glenn is at Irv Spanish on Twitter. I can be found on Twitter at Mr. Washburn. Our engineers are Jake and Justin at Podcast Production Team. Check out their website at podcastproductionteam.com. You can find us on Facebook by visiting facebook.com slash oneducationpod. If you're enjoying the show and think others would too, we'd be thrilled if you shared it with them. Please leave us a rating or review in Apple Podcasts or the Google Play Store. When you leave a rating, it gives our rankings a boost, and this helps others discover the show. We want to thank our presenting sponsor, Schoology, for supporting us. Check out Schoology.com to learn how they can help you advance what's possible. Thanks as always for listening. Stay awesome. See you soon.